0: Le Palais Garnier, home of the Paris Opera for 114 years. Here, seven stories below ground level, lies a dark forbidden world. The ghosts of man stalk this lonely realm. To chill the blood and stir one's darkest fears with strange imaginings. To glimpse the silent shadow of he who rules this Grim
1: terrain, for he is master here. The Phantom, the Phantom of the Opera. Welcome to La Rola's Traveled, the podcast can you hear that siren? I can and I expected it because they don't want they don't want us to talk about this first of all. They let's don't, get that out of the way. Right.
0: right, right. <laughs> the, the man doesn't want us to do this podcast. <laughs> and they're on their way to get us. Uh, no, let's try. <laughs> Welcome to The Oralist Travel, the podcast where we recap the 1909 novel The Phantom of the Opera by Gaston LaRoe, uh, a couple chapters at a time. I'm Kara and I'm Kristen. And we're just two dizzy broads, truly dizzy broads, and we're super qualified to talk about this because during the pandemic, our brains broke and now we're back into the Phantom of the Opera, the the fandom hyperfixation of our youth.
1: We really enjoy the Phantom of the Opera Extended Universe. We, mm-hmm. I would say that we enjoyed a very normal amount, you know? Yeah. Regular. Yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> we're super, yeah. super normal. Specifically, we really like the Phantom of the Opera musical. We are definitely, unfortunately, active members of the fandom with a PH, and we can't be tamed. So,
1: no, although whoever was in the car with that siren is trying, but um, they're not going to succeed. We would both, we have both seen the musical adaptation of the novel that is, I would say, the most predominant in pop culture. Like, it's the loudest of all the adaptations. And that, I mean, it is loud, but also it's just very. It's, yeah, um, it's the
0: thing that people know.
1: But some I people think don't so. Know. Not everyone knows know that
0: there's a book.
1: No. Sometimes. No. I don't know about you, but I mean I do know about you. I think you should speak on it. I think you should speak on you and your journey and your truth with this thing that you love a regular amount. Thank you so much. Uh, the pandemic affected us all differently.
0: You know, I think as you were saying before we started the recording, people got really into their little tasks, people got really into their little hyperfixations. And for me, I was like in the fandom in middle school uh, was my villain origin story. My middle school teacher had like a whole unit and it was around the time that the movie came out. So we like watched part of the movie in class. There's no way we watched the whole movie in class.
1: I'm sad to hear that (laughs) because I would love to know your, I think a really good villain origin story would be. And then I watched Point of No Return with eighth grade boys or whatever, like,
0: yeah, I I don't remember. We must have just watched like maybe the God maybe even the trailer. Like I can't what? remember because I I know because it's it was what PG was it PG thirteen?
1: I think it was. It could have gone it's either something. way. Can she Watching come on here?
0: Yeah, I know. We gotta. I gotta call it Mrs. O.
1: What was TV her journey list? with with the film? Like we'd love to know. Right.
0: Right. Come on Cause the pod. She, like, Made a whole unit. I'm a teacher, and I would never do like the bravery that it took to have her thing be a unit for seventh graders was wild.
1: I would consider her a friend of the pod, even if she doesn't actually come on the pod. I think so. She's not going to listen. She better not. (laughs) Sorry, this is uh... but so you (laughs) saw it, and then was that your gateway into like other versions, other adaptations? Because the premise here, I've read this book before, though not in some time. Kara's never read the book before. That you've read, you've, you've consumed other aspects of phantom culture.
0: I have. Yeah. I feel like that the unit kind of introduced me. And then I think we can all, we can both relate. I bullied my family into taking me to see the show and then bullied my boyfriend to, <laughs> to let us see the show. And then, then I just kind of, you know, I saw the show and I was done and I was like, great. I can, you know, I love this thing.
1: I'm gonna put it put it over here and, and the pandemic hit and I'm back, we're back baby. What was your pandemic phantom journey? Great question, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I like put it away from me and then there is a Phantom of the Opera sequel which is a fun fact to drop on people at parties, people who don't wish this to know this information. Um,
1: Against their will, you're helping I, them to learn.
0: Yeah, and it's whatever, there's like a book called The Phantom of Manhattan that Andrew Lloyd Webber, like helped this guy, Frederick Forsyth, write. He was like, make me a sequel. This guy wrote this incredibly good and normal book. And then obviously Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote Love Never Dies. It's only on like a national tour. And I was, I don't know, I was in college and I didn't have money, so I didn't go see it. And also I wasn't in the fandom of the PH, but yeah. So I I think YouTube, like the show must go on in July of the pandemic was like oh for this weekend you can watch love never Dies, and I was like I'll watch it let's see what this is about and then I was like great something snapped in my brain like something physically snapped and then I just opened my computer loaded up a fucking Microsoft Word document and just started like I was like I can fix this and here we are
1: no but that was we say villain origin story a lot I love that the pandemic stream of Love Never Dies was your actual villain origin story.
0: And I was like, there's no way there's other people in 2020 (laughs) who like this musical, the longest running musical on Broadway. Now I'm having
1: champagne with you fine people. Um,
0: But you didn't read Phantom of Manhattan, right?
1: I have never read Phantom of Manhattan. Who knows if we'll change that, but yeah. We should change that because
0: uh, at one point it's like not really Love Never Dies because Andrew Lloyd Webber changed it. But at one point, like Eric is is like a circus clown, (laughs) literal (laughs) clown, instead of just the clown that he normally is. (laughs) And that's not the worst part of the book.
1: Oh, okay. So, I mean, I mean, we, and we do mean this with love, um, Rick is a clown very often, and oh, okay. We oh, have yeah. to pause. <laughs> we are going to jump all over the place. The Phantom of the Opera has a name in some mm-hmm. versions, in many versions, I dare yeah. say, in most versions. Not Andrew Lloyd Webber, but kind of all the others. His name is Eric. Put a pin in that. At some point, we started calling him Rick. There is no lore <laughs> behind this. We just think it's funny. It I don't like, know. Serious. He's like
0: sensual. He's like, you know, doing it, doing it right. Rick is a nightmare. Rick is buying you the Uber. You know, when you wake up in the boat, (laughs) he's already scheduled the Uber and he's like, it's an Uber pool. I'm trying to budget, have a great life. That was a fun night we had last night. So that's Rick. Eric is like, we got the fog machine going in the lair. Like,
1: yeah. And if you're wondering how the fan of the opera famously a guy who like he's not pleased with his level of dating experience and is not always very confident in that area. If you're wondering how we have somehow had him to be like packing him off the minute they wake up, don't it's <laughs> it's best that you set that concern aside for the podcast I would say, but yeah, he's we we have jokes, Rick has jokes. Um mm-hmm. you know, you might wake up to look over and see him just in his big robe sitting there like smoking weed. That's actually his weed hoodie um yes, yes, rick rick contains multitudes and i think that we will explore that space in the podcast unfortunately but um yeah
0: i'm excited to see if laroe eric like if that version of the phantom of the opera has rick behaviors nonsense behaviors
1: um and know. that is really what it is it's the nonsense yeah. behaviors is when he's rick yeah when he's just doing his phantom things it's you know it's eric um, yeah, he I can be sense. Eric when he's playing the piano. That's fine. Yeah, but so when he's doing clownery, you said that's an actual clown that
0: he's yeah, a he's real like, clown
1: in *Fan of Him in Manhattan*.
0: Right. Like in all other iterations, he's proverbially putting on the clown makeup. Mm. Uh, in Phantom of Manhattan*, he is literally putting on the clown makeup, and he is a clown, like a circus clown. Oh. <laughs> no
1: uh,
0: but Andrew Lloyd Weber did get rid of that, um, which, you know, a real shame.
1: Ramin wasn't going to do that behavior. And I actually, fun fact, never talked about it before ever, especially not on fan of the opera dark web, but I flew to London, not really to see the phantom sequel, but because I had, um, you know, I used to live in London Meaning, I studied abroad for one semester in college yeah, it is, it is. in London right we both lived in london so yeah we lived there uh we
0: were so immersed in the culture
1: yeah i saw phantom twice when i was in london i got to see the phenomenal john owen jones Mm. oh man what what a vocal i flew backwards in my seat like marty mcfly at the beginning of back to the future so i really wanted to visit my friend in london but also i worked at samuel french at the time so lots of you know annoying theater people just really in my element And everyone was like this absolute mess that's about to be mounted called Love Never Dies. Each day I'm anxiously clicking the updates and I'm like, oh my God, it looks terrible. I'm going to see it because I love mystery science theater. (laughs) So I went to see my friend and New Year's Day, 2011, we were, they performed on New Year's Day, we're in the theater. It was Ramin Karimloo, it was Sierra Boggess. And I remember thinking, Oh, I mean, I really like them. I would love to see them in the real show. But the show has changed quite a... Has it changed, like, a lot? I think so. They yeah, are putting it up again. Uh, yes. Allegedly
0: putting it up again. We're not getting into... We, we can't speak on what's going on in the fandom right now, but... I think they we are, might. Maybe they're we should joking. at the end. Yeah. They're joking about putting Love Never Dies in the Majestic Theater, which...
1: Bill and which origin story go, part two. I would two. love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me try so to. So your
0: journey. Yes. I think we should get into. So yes, you saw Love Never Dies, uh, the power that has.
1: Okay, my actual linear journey, absolutely doing nothing but like making mixtapes off the radio in my room. My mm-hmm. mother takes me to see Fan with the Opera and unleashes just uh, that. That was her villain origin story. I got home from seeing that one time in San Francisco and I needed the book. I just that was when I read the LaRoe book for the first time. And mm-hmm. from there, I read, I read every Phantom material that I could get my hands on, basically, which, like in 1998, wasn't that much stuff for me. Um, yeah, I bullied my family into taking me to see it three more times in San Francisco. Then I saw it on a national tour, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, it was it was kind of fine. Uh, I did get to see it in London twice. Amazing, great we're not we don't need to go through every single time but the pandemic led me back it really did um I do remember when the 2004 movie came out Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say I didn't I never had the level of trauma around this cinematic event that many people seem to yeah I just kind of went to see it no it was kind of fine I just kind of didn't think about it and moved on but Beyonce actually sang a song the song that they sing at the end Mm -hmm. she sang it at the oscar she's saying learn to be lonely and she holds hands with a man dressed as the phantom at one point Who's as man? i <laughs> i hate that, that it good... should have been gerard butler
0: who is the guy it's not gerard
1: i don't think so but what if it was i would it's love like to see a say... party
0: city phantom <laughs>
1: it's absolutely a party city phantom yeah. oh, and Anton lord weber is there playing the mm. piano but um yeah oh what a God. moment If we're linking to things in the show notes, I will certainly link to that.
0: Well, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber, he is, you know, if if there's one thing we know about Andrew, it's he's trying to get that original song Oscar, um, which, because as we know, famously, my girl Taylor Swift did Beautiful Ghosts
1: with him for the Cats 2019 movie. See, he had an early win with You Must Love Me from Evita, which, yeah, Evita, among other things I got into after getting into Phantom... Didn't terrorize my family with that at all. And I really like the song, You Must Love Me. But I think a lot of versions have added that in since the movie. I don't know that you're going to be seeing beautiful ghosts maybe in productions of Cats. No, I, beautiful ghosts,
0: we can't, I can't get it. This is my TED Talks, but like beautiful ghosts, it was just made for me. Yeah, that's it. That's okay. person who likes Andrew Lloyd Webber this much and Taylor Swift this much, but that was just written for me. And that's and okay. I don't like it. <laughs>
1: it makes me <laughs> upset.
0: But also if you <laughs> like Andrew Lloyd Webber and
1: also Taylor Swift, hit me up because uh, there's like two of us. Dozens. I think there's dozens probably. I think there could be. Um. Uh, so I don't know if you felt this, Cara, <laughs> but for me, mm-hmm. getting on the internet in t- 2020 at the time and finding other, you know... People say Disney adults, and really, there's Phantom adults. Like I do want to address our friendship origin story <gasps> is not
0: Gaston Phantom of family opera because I've never read that book, and I remember I haven't read that book because my library didn't have it, and I remember like my best friend, uh, friend at the pod, Ashley, she like into the <laughs> library loaned it from
1: another <laughs> part of the state,
0: and Ooh, she read the
1: book. But I, I would too. Think did an interlibrary loan actually she's just like me she's
0: just like me (laughs) yeah she read the book and then she was like it's not a horny text in the same way that she's like it's very different than the musical and like as a 13 year old we were like what the fuck so we
1: I guess I was built different no it's yeah (laughs) I, I liked it but I did very quickly I was like okay it's very much not the same thing but I don't know Uh, we were a very, we weren't allowed, I wasn't allowed to watch very much. So we were a big PBS kind of household. So at that point, I'd seen several Pride and Prejudice adaptations. So that rather than comic books, I think is probably the thing that helped me wrap my mind around. Not all the versions are going to be the same, but there's going to be things that you like in each version. And I was a pretentious 13 year old is what I'm saying. But no, um, I was
0: too. I mean, I'm, you know, I was I was the girl at the concert reading the book. So like, Harry Styles would fall in love with me proverbially because that was after my time but I was an obnoxious you know whatever pretentious reader so I was reading Jane Eyre and like my English class while everyone else was not reading Jane Eyre and I was like but I should have not like the other girls I think I just like like, couldn't get the interlibrary loan together which is embarrassing (laughs)
1: That's okay, though, you know, hey, but Ashley, I mean, do you based on what you know now? And yeah, spoiler, we've read the beginning of the book as we head into this podcast, which at some point, Mm -hmm. you know what, maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe we won't. That's, that's our truth. But on what you know, now, do you think you would have liked it at age 13? I think, I
0: think I would. Yeah, I remember. Well, because I read like Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre was kind of like my first I was watching the Masterpiece Classics on mm-hmm. PBS because, yeah. you know, annoying. And then culture, <laughs> culture, and, and then I think Jane Eyre was kind of my first book from the eighteen hundreds. Isn't for kids that I was reading, so I think I would have liked it. I think I would have missed a lot of it. And now, you know, having a degree in English literature, I know like. Kind of the context in which it sits in literary canon. And I'm also reading Dracula right now because I'm doing the Dracula Daily, which sends you like Ooh. a chapter of Dracula when it's like, because it's dated. It's an epistolary novel. And someone is doing that for Phantom. Last time we spoke, we were talking about how it can't be done because there's like too many flashbacks or whatever. But there's um,
1: the universe heard that. Yeah,
0: someone. I'll find. I'll put it in the show notes. But um, someone is doing it the way that it was published in the original newspaper, which is cool. All this to say, our podcast—if you can't tell by the energy that we're bringing— uh, not not a scholarly
1: podcast. Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> if you want, I think, like, facts, <laughs> not. Here. Well, I mean, I'm not a. We could bring in a Wikipedia corner at some point, but you know. Right. But as far as adaptations, I was able to rent the, I don't know, when I watched the 1925 version, then there's the 1940. There's all these old movie versions that are not... If you as a 13-year-old girl were very impacted by music of the night, um, I'm going to say that the old Hollywood adaptations of Famine of the Opera probably do not have what you're looking for. But who can say? Right. They're real different. They're fun. But th- the most to this day the most Larot accurate, which LaRoe accurate, Canon compliant, like we don't care. Just have fun yeah. with it. Yep. But the version I've seen that sticks the most to the book is Wishbone Phantom. Wishbone which I, I don't Phantom. think we should explain it. Hi there, theoretical listeners. It is Future Kristen. Between the time we recorded this and now when I am editing it, I have gone back to view Wishbone Phantom, which is on YouTube can't really support this bold claim I made that it is the most accurate version Uh, you know we're all learning and growing but I just had to say yeah no I I know I know we shouldn't explain it but Kara do you have anything in your room in your possession that really that's a great
0: (laughs) no wishbone phantom famously called Panton at the opera Ah. it is completely available horrifyingly available on youtube
1: but also, um, he's such a good little dog. He's so cute. He That's plays we little it.
0: Raoul, and he wears a little <gasps> oh. suit. This little Jack Russell Terrier is wearing a suit. Honest to God, just a peek behind the curtain. I am an English teacher. The amount of canon literature that I have not read, but I have seen the the Wishbone episode of, I will say, you know, I think I can piece it together at like a party where someone's quizzing me about classic literature.
1: But... The yeah, impact I, that Wishbone has had Wishbone Love that little guy.
0: All this to say that there is, just so the, the readers know, there is a stuffed animal version of Raoul, Wishbone Wow. Mm-hmm. You can, legally you can get it. It doesn't, you know, it's on eBay. And I did receive it for my birthday. So I have a little guy and he's in a little suit and a little top hat. And he, he's perfect. So yeah, that's, I mean, Wishbone, Wishbone Phantom of the Opera is the most accurate.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, And there will never be an adaptation of Phantom of the Opera that is more accurate. No, this is, okay, I have not, wa- again, haven't watched all of them. The, fa- the girlies are out here saying that this absolutely busted hour-long 1987 cartoon Phantom, you can find it on YouTube. I actually haven't watched it the whole way through because I need to have like, a treat and some friends yelling with me to watch that. But that and Wishbone are apparently the most accurate to the book. Maybe we'll do a little journey into that. But um, the accuracy is not necessarily paramount to, like, is this fun and good? So uh, did we want to do a quick, like, just across the multiverse, like, who are these Ricks? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. We've got musical Eric, but Mm -hmm.
0: also our friendship origin story is... There is a 1990 version of the story Phantom by Susan K.
1: Phantom by Susan K. Kristen, take it away. Okay, so Susan K. is Thanos. She created the most chaotic version of the story that a lot of people apparently do think is canon. Like, this is the actual book. And then she simply vanished. She went to see the show. I don't know what her relationship to the material had been before that. She really liked the show. And she wrote her own book, which is a whole backstory of Eric. Um, Some of the parts of the backstory are things that you really want to tread lightly with. There's also, she said he's really tall. And just so you know, definitely Um, packing. Just why is it in there? Who can say? We thank her for it. But he's he's really fights. he's really on drugs quite a bit <laughs> our guy rick carrick mm-hmm. yeah carrick is just really really on some rick behaviors at all times and this this is our friendship origin story there's a minor character named luciana who i saw someone I say know. hey eric carrick and luciana had potential and i was mm-hmm. like you know what you know True. what since we're writing au's Yes. And you apparently were like, I was like in the process of reading a fan fiction where there
0: was a Luciana character and I like messaged you and I was like, Hey, like Luciana has a, you know, famously, I also really liked the side characters in the book. Um, we'll get into that. And we sure, we sure will. That. Yeah. And then we just started talking about like Phantom by Susan K. And now uh, we're best friends. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's actually just a really good gateway into mm-hmm. rick so, so there's like a bunch of different erics yeah there's a bunch of different erics musical eric is merrick laro eric is Laric. i don't know hey, what eric. wishbone eric is Yeah, susan k carrick mm-hmm. susan k is kind of the queen of phantom fanfic because yes hers got published because she was already an author uh she wrote her own her story and that's her own backstory of eric's life which is for the most part, it's not touched in LaRoe's novel very much. Um because mm. so LaRoe, spoilers, is going to tell us that Eric has done murders and some light treason. But Susan Kay said, how did he feel about that and did it give him a boner? So mm. as we There's some issues with the novel that people have, and I tend to not disagree with them, but this Eric that Susan Kay has created, he's Avril Levine has addressed this. He He's a scene. He's a drama queen. Mm-hmm. He's the best damn thing that your eyes have ever seen. Right. Um, and of course, okay. A big plot point of each version is that he's like aggressively not the best damn thing that your eyes have ever seen. But what Susan K. Andrew Lid Weber, and many a fanfic writer since have presupposed is, what if he is? Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so this novel, Phantom Susan K. It's published in nineteen ninety. And I think part of why Kay's novel is never going to be dethroned in importance to the fandom is that for a long time it just it's what people had. Also, it is the horniest version without tipping over into full-on adult content, but just deeply horny throughout. Everyone who lays eyes on this man really has to go lie down. Like they're unwell, they're screaming, crying, throwing up. I mean, is it like if Harry Styles was maybe going to kill you what's how would we describe oh. the chaos that he leaves in his wake? like what is Carrick doing
0: my sister in Christ there is a whole industry a fan fiction industry around what if Harry Styles is going to kill you oh. I would say yeah wait I <laughs> new information I'm receiving oh. in this moment well when we see each other I will introduce you to that world but yeah, yeah. no it's like if mm, no, it's usually like a mob boss or like a whatever. This is more like, I don't know, maybe Loki?
1: I'm trying to think. Like, oh, what- yeah, oh. actually. But um, all the very real issues from her book aside, I think in terms of Eric's, it's a feat to write this character in the first person. And he's believable and engaging. And you're able to empathize with him, even though you're like, no, what are yeah. you doing? God, dude, Rick. Ah, uh, he's a beautiful disaster. Susan K's mm-hmm. Eric. Carrick. Yes. Car, who's your favorite Rick?
0: Great question. Um my my favorite idiot is Love Never dies, Eric, uh, uh, which we've already spoken on. I love Love never dies is great because he's like, again, he' is a literal clown in the book, but he is a clown in the musical because he really thinks ten years later, I should call her. And it's like, You shouldn't, King. Like, this is not going to end well. And it doesn't. Um, But now I just write Love Never Dies fan fiction for fun. Do We want to maybe take a quick break because I I don't know if you can hear how my voice is gone. And it's not because I'm sick. It's because I sang karaoke really hard. But I do need to go get a glass of water and maybe we'll take a break and then we come back. um, Yes. We could get into the actual story that we're professing to be talking about. Let's just, you know, boldly go where no one has gone before, which is a 200-year-old book, or 100 years. Right.
1: But which adaptation, though, in case anyone would like to read it along? Yes, yes, yes. So this is based on
0: some recs from the girlies. When we're talking about the girlies, uh, I, of course, mean the people in the Phantom of the Ombra fandom uh, shouts to them. The girls, non-gendered did say we should read the David Coward translation. He's like a more recent one. Uh, he is also an ally to the community <laughs> fan fiction. So he wrote a book called The Young Phantom, which I do have on my Kindle Unlimited. It was a free item. Maybe it was $2. I might've spent real US dollars on this man's fan fiction. Susan K. adjacent kind of backstory. Yeah, he um, he translated it recently
1: sometimes in life you know the audio gets eaten we're just clarifying that we are reading the david coward translation because for a good long time if you had an english translation of this novel it was almost certainly going to be the one that was translated by alexander texierra de maros i'm hoping i got like 80 80 percent accuracy on that pronunciation um but that was done by him in 1911 or at least it was released in 1911. So if your copy has no translator listed, or the translator is listed as anonymous, it is him. And he did cut about 100 pages of material. Right. And he
0: did try to make it less horny, which we're not about that life, you
1: know? Yeah, I would say that even though he made a valiant effort to do that, he couldn't suppress it entirely. But also, yeah, I no. was just kind of looking, I was just going to go with that one and then compare the differences, but you you were able to help me get a copy of The David Coward, which it's not for accessibility. Unfortunately, I did not find an audiobook of it. There's quite a few audiobooks of the, I call it the Project Gutenberg version, because it's on there too, if you want to yeah. read. Yeah. So it's free online. That is the public domain one. It was, it was saying that he's more accurate, but texts, as he is colloquially <laughs> called um, had more of a flair or a feel at, at points for the language as it would have been at the time. but um, I mean, for about a hundred years, I would say people have been reading the the free version, the other version and still being very captivated by it. So I don't want to say it's completely without merits. however, even just starting to get into the things, that are in this adapt up or in this translation that are not in the other ones. I, I'm really glad we're reading David Coward so that we can get uh, as much information as possible. Are you feeling prologue? I'm,
0: I'm feeling, I'm feeling prologue right off the fucking bat though. I'm are we cursing in this podcast? I guess we are. Here's the we thing. Don't have
1: to. Our mom mm-hmm. can handle my, for some reason, my mom wants to listen to this. Like she hasn't suffered enough. <gasps> I don't know. I feel like our moms can more easily, my mom can probably more easily handle me swearing than talking about uh, Eric's massive schlong, But That's <laughs> true. My
0: mom doesn't like me saying the F word. <laughs> uh, right off the bat, though, we do, unfortunately, with the Coward translation, we miss the banger opening line.
1: Yeah, in the in the free ver- I'm just going to call it Project Gutenberg because I know how to pronounce the word Gutenberg. Can't stress enough that this is not a scholarly podcast. No. Um but he says free guy says the opera ghost really existed and that's just <sighs> wow what a moment gets you right in there. But you know, David Coward is also conveying the information. Yes, 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 yes. yes. We start the pro- we start the story with a prologue because, you
0: know, it's 1909 but this is like I think we would consider it a gothic novel. But Leroux, or the narrator, doesn't necessarily trust the reader 100% going into this, which, you know, we love to see it. Like, he's like, you guys are idiots. Let me walk you through this. Uh, (laughs) He's got to clear. He's got to clarify.
1: Yeah. And I mean, in my notes, I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between Gaston, Leroux, Gaston Leroux, the narrator. They're all the same guy. Yeah. So we can call him,
0: like, Leroux and so yeah. Loro knows you know it's 1900 you know germ theory we're not 100 <laughs> percent there yet and he's like you you morons come on come along on this story this really happened yeah um which is definitely something you say right off the bat when something really happened absolutely you know you definitely emphasize that and so i thought it was really cool how he builds this case for the credibility of the investigation he's like don't trust me trust all these people I interviewed and all these things I did to get the story together, which I thought was kind of like a fun meta choice to kind of establish his credibility at the get. And he's like, Phantom of the Opera is a real guy. You've probably heard of this. This happened 30 (laughs) years ago. So that means that like this is happening in 1880. Right. we don't need to get into Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical and the sequel, famously very loose on the timeline. LaRoe, not so loose because he's he's trying to say like this thing really happened, and he's setting it up kind of like a fun like police investigation, like true crime.
1: Yeah, and he is uh, referencing documentary. He is referencing things that actually happened, as opposed to the opera ghost really existed. Uh, we'll get there, but like the commune and like at one point, I don't know, a chandelier did fall at some point. Mm, spoiler, mm-hmm. spoiler, but part of a chandelier part of a chandelier but so he's he's telling us a fictional story that he's presenting as a real story but he's tied it closely enough to really real things that he's that it makes it fun so yeah
0: it's cool I wonder if this is like a war of the world like did people really believe that this is true I hope so I hope so I (laughs) and people are just the girls are just down in the in the opera cellar is looking for him. I mean i'm gonna I, if next time I go to paris, I'm fortunately gonna look gonna yeah. take a peek see and if it, he's down it there. doesn't
1: matter if they're saying no you can't go there, right. bro, you don't understand we're we're hardcore fans. they care about this just a normal in amount but still um yeah. oh no, the show off. a normal amount
0: yeah, he like breaks down his his research methods. I did love that one of the managers. In a classic, gotta secure the bag fashion, does write a book about his experience. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure he got a ghostwriter. But this man did make sure he got money from the trauma that he experienced.
1: Oh, as he should. Yeah. Stan's like, all right, well, we're not going off everything that clown said. But um, his energy is like, this happened. And before you say anything, let me tell you. Yeah, he's going to head us off at the pass. I, yeah, I love the
0: tell-all nature of this book. Uh, I'm excited. And my my favorite bleeding character of the prologue was that guy who was the investigator 30 years ago. And he just immediately left town. And then when he came back, he did Can- not waste.
1: Hmm? Yeah, people are threatening to move to Canada all the time. This dude did it. He talked the yeah. talk. He walked the walk all the way to the Can- to Canada. And then when he got <laughs> back, this was his uh, 2016 election.
0: <laughs> if the Phantom of the Opera gets away with this, I'm moving <laughs> to Canada. November 9th,
1: 1886. Oh he said, let me get that seat, though, because. Yeah, so he fucking shows back up and he's like. He says, you guys are Hi. doing Hamilton. I've been waiting for this. Let me. No, I'm not he's a like, subscriber. You... Nonetheless. He's like, "I, you've
0: heard of me. And they're like, simply haven't. And he's like, I am here for the friends and family rate. Yeah. And I would like a free seat because of that time I completely botched the investigation. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is his, like, this man did not waste time getting his group on. And I respect that immensely.
1: No, we stand a frugal king. Spoiler, that is not Rick. Rick is not a frugal king, but... No, he's the opposite. Well, we're not talking about him yet. We're not talking about him yet.
0: So the narrator is like, the narrator is also there, because he's obviously, LaRoe is there like doing his thing, and he sees this guy like trying to get tickets, and he's like, hey, can we sit down and talk? So that was fun. Uh, He immediately criticizes the police investigation. Yeah, I love it, you know.
1: Yeah. The the
0: cops usually fucking up this
1: kind of shit. Yeah, and then so like the, the guy that's written the letter that he prints in full is like, We need you to figure this out, man. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Gaston Leroy, you're our only hope. you got to figure out what was going on with this ghost dude, because that actually makes more sense, than to assume that these brothers, who loved each other their whole lives, killed each other over abroad. And I am being very accurate to the translation, and I feel like we're not going to do a lot with trigger warnings in this pod, because the basic story of Phantom just kind of involves violence and killing people and doing crimes, so... it's Phantom of the Opera. I don't know. Um, right. No. This man, yeah. He says, make it make sense. Many people are asking. Uh, the girlies are clamoring and their crops are dying. And that's actually why we are making a podcast right now. Like people are clamoring for a podcast of the LaRoe book, 1909. Yes. In 2020. People are
0: clamoring. Guest on LaRoe. He's saying, you know, I am guest on LaRoe for NBR. No. And this is
1: cereal, But <laughs> the cereal
0: killer yeah.
1: is... <laughs> Is a ghost Gaston yes, Leroux did invent cereal. He's reopening the case. Yeah, cold case. It's so much fun. So we find out the Comte de Chagny.
0: Yeah, uh, as they would say in the two thousand four movie where everyone's accents are amazing. The Comte de Chagny yeah. was killed in a murder most foul, and people thought the brother who did it. Uh, you know, because that's that sounds right. Yeah. we know who these people are already. Because we're insane, but as a reader, we don't know who the Conta Shiny is, we don't know who this Rao guy is.
1: When we uh, don't know, they didn't know who Opera Lynch will get their Christine Daae was, but some girl basically they got in a fight over some girl and probably shot each other. That's yeah. that's what had been said.
0: So, so LaRoe is laying out the events of the novel, right? Uh, he's giving us the ending, which I do love because unfortunately. The attention deficit is there. I think he knows that, you know, your time is valuable, Victorian readers. And I'm going to tell you why it's worth it. Like, there's going to be blood. There's going to be bodies. There's going to be... He finds the dead body. So he's like, he's already set in the tone. He goes, "Uh, I found the body of a man who I believe to be the Phantom of the Opera. And he does clarify uh, that it's not the other bodies that he found in the same cellar. No, Uh, which is just a great way to run a building.
1: Yeah, it's bodies, 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 possibly still in theaters now as we (laughs) record this, but also in the cellars of the Paris Opera. And okay, I am not going to be someone I'm not. I am a clown. I cannot speak with intelligence or authority on the Paris Commune at this time, but lots of people can. So there will be links in the show notes. Uh, So Brantrop's Paris Commune was a revolutionary government that seized power in Paris from March 18th to May 28th, 1871. And I absolutely just read the first sentence of the Wikipedia. That's what I did. We know people who know a great deal about this. The K novel does explore what Rick was doing at that time. And it's spoiler, he gets a cat. But um, it's not something that most adaptations really address. So Gaston Leroux is like Paris Commune, ever heard of it, backdrop, moving on. We, we stand. I do respect Like
0: the world is ending and Eric's like, I gotta get a cat. I think a lot of people in the pandemic did that. My my roommate did that.
1: Yeah, and Soju is a friend of the pod. Absolutely. She's sleeping right now, but she's going to act up real fast. Yeah, my cat is not a friend of the pod. Um, no. It's it's hard. It's We deal with it. So
0: with LaRoe, he thanks everybody who helped him with assembling all his research. Because uh, he's a serial podcast. So we've got the team. The NPR team is there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ezra Canning uh and he says they assisted me greatly thanks to them I you know I can now with the reader let us relive those hours of pure love and terror a banger I love love it terror even more I'm I'm hooked I'm subscribing to this like this slack that this man is about to put out
1: yeah and then he just takes us straight into yeah he just gets into it so chapter one he he starts out in both versions the free one and the one that we're reading he says he's introducing us to the ballet rats and talking about what they do with the opera these are the you know the chorus dancers in both versions he has placed dancing in quotation marks which i think is funny like gaston is there to let you know like these girls are a mess like that's what's happening Uh, We meet Sorelli, who is the lead dancer in the ballet. She is getting ready to give a speech for the managers who are retiring. This is the last night of their employment there. And then into her dressing room as she is simply trying to do her thing. In comes a scattered mob of unsupervised children in tutus. Uh, (laughs) We are told that they're buying each other drinks backstage. Where are the drinks coming from? like the rear mezzanine bar, like we don't know, but possibly drinking for several hours. So like the more high school age to college, but it's, it's a lot of middle school sleepover energy. What are they drinking? Are we thinking like, is it a wine cooler? Is it a, he says beer, something called is Cassie. Sorry. I'm sure that's not the pronunciation rum. It's giving four loco to me, but yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I think original formula for a loco. And they're also like, 15
1: yeah or whatever yeah I don't know so presumably they're good if they're there but Gaston they
0: don't seem great
1: Gaston the roast
0: that does say like they they're kind of a I mean they're they're drinking for a loco they're kind of a mess it's the these are the theater girlies who can't sing so they had to take dance but yeah. they did like hip-hop dance <laughs> and not ballet
1: so uh Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And that's how (laughs) Gaston feels. And that's how Sorelli feels. It was with rising ill temper that she looked on as the scatterbrained flock pushed in behind her. And just you, like, Mm. given your profession, your station in life, did you feel seen by that?
0: Oh, my God. No, I love this woman. I I feel seen. Not just because she is clearly the only adult surrounded by children, uh, which (laughs) is, you know, my day job. But also she just carries a knife at all
1: times. (laughs) No, the Project Gutenberg version has eliminated some vital to me information about this legendary armed hottie. But like we are going to get to that. It is it's time for us to meet the girls. Yeah. So we meet. Uh, oh, boy. Jam. <laughs> in writing. I have and I cannot remember the name of that man who does a really nice job, I think, narrating. He pronounces it Jam in my audio book. Oh, I could do Jam. Yeah. Um, Tea with Jam yeah Common bread. but then the next name we actually there's no struggle whatsoever out of no. her, her name her name is miss meg meg jerry meg and we do have to do a whole podcast on meg sometime. god
0: i just love her so much um so meg uh i just made a powerpoint on the musical meg uh yes. which obviously a different different character really yeah but someone didn't understand why I like her so much. So I made like a, just a quick 30 slide PowerPoint about why she's important. Um, just
1: brisk, you know,
0: you know, I do just to, you know, pull back the curtain for a second. I do write. We said that we love side characters. I write Meg yeah. fan fiction. Um She is a prominent character in love never dies. She is completely character assassinated. And so it's a lot of fun to try to like, not, to to de assassinate her. I don't know if that's the term, but (laughs) in the book though, I will say, like, I think Meg I I've seen things where people say like Meg, Jam and Sorelli are kind of smooshed into one yeah character because Meg is described as like this like immature pain in the ass kind of like running around. Yeah. Obviously Meg in the musical is more of like a peer of Christine's, their best right. friends. They have a couple heart to hearts in the, in the musical. And I don't, I, I don't know if that's going, I don't think that's going to happen in the book from what I can glean from like the zeitgeist. Right. But yeah, they get, they all get combined into Meg in the musical.
1: Yeah. Well, and then when we, when we met her in the prologue really fast, uh, it said something about like, and this is the little Meg Jerry of the story and she's not ashamed of it. Why should Queen. She, yeah, why should she be? But she's the Baroness von something. She's uh, the
0: Baroness von Von Schrader,
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Now I'm envisioning just replace the Baroness from Sound of Music and put Meg in there. It's a real different energy at the ball with the children. I don't know. I think Maria has some more work cut out for her, but hey, both great characters. We're not pitting. They the would baby. have to like fist fight. That would yeah. be great. Crossover AU the sound of music but meg is the baroness no don't <laughs> um, threaten me with a good time so we see her in the future in the prologue she's flourishing she's prospering but then we meet her in the events of the novel one Anne Shirley was described as wiry in her early years and she's certainly very excitable and that is meg so she's really yeah she is setting a tone and she's hyping the crowd mm-hmm. um and so, let's see what else gaston says the dressing room seemed palatial to these wound up children who had to share accommodation where they spent their time singing, quarreling, cuffing their dressers, um, doing their hair, buying each other little glasses of, oh, here it is, <laughs> like rum, beer, like right up until the time he says, Gaston, make sure we know, these youths are, these delinquents are drinking rum right up until the time when the callboy rang for their entrance so maybe that's why the dancing was in quotation marks it's a bunch of like fractious drunk children just like getting into mayhem backstage and then spoiler coming soon like everyone's mom is there like what Carol? what's happening it's
0: this is out of control i can first of all i can see like we know that eric is not gonna like how messy this is and i'm starting to see his point of view because uh if these children are on four loco i honestly maybe that's my villain origin
1: story it's been added to the like drug list is something you can be on no so he eric would like to run a tight like britney spears eric runs a tight ship whip crack yes. so be prepared but watching all this he's just full-on Crispine press towards associated um, staring absolutely. off into the void. Um, and I support
0: it because this sounds like uh, literally like a, an episode of Toddlers and Tiaras. We
1: haven't even met Abby Lee Miller, but she's coming. And I'm really excited about it. Oh, yeah. There is an Abby Lee Miller character. Um, but so, Okay. The children have run into Sorelli's room and they're hollering because, oh, my God, Tara, they saw something. What did they see? Wouldn't you believe they saw the Phantom of the Opera? They saw Rick. They saw Rick. So they do not have the energy about encountering Rick that a lot of people who are in this fandom with a PH claim they would have about meeting Rick. I'm just going to say that if you were not expecting Rick and you encountered Rick in like a dark corridor, maybe you would not say wreck my plans. That's my man. Maybe you would. I don't know your truth, but um, they're like, yeah, screaming. They're screaming. So the, <laughs> and the next quote is a banger that and I think you should get to read it. It's good. Thank you. Uh
0: yeah, I like this description of him. Um this is Rick. This is Rick. This is what we're talking about when we say Rick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a good few months, all anyone had talked about in the opera house was this ghost in black tie and tails. <laughs> First of all. First of all, prom, prom giving prom <laughs> who walked like a shadow all over the building from top to bottom, never spoke to anyone. This is also me at work, and no <laughs> one else dared to say a word to him. Same. And the moment he was spotted, he vanished without anyone being able to say where, where to, or why
1: he walked soundlessly the way genuine ghosts do. And he does have his AirPods in. He's listening to Beyonce's latest album. He's listening to the song Cozy specifically. Um, Yeah. It's crazy that Gaston Moreau predicted Renaissance. Right. And it is. But also, like, she's a god. She's a hero. She survived all she'd been through. Apologies to Beyonce confident damn she lethal and that's rick yes rick uh
0: also famously in his
1: reputation
0: era Uh, if we we switch over to taylor
1: oh yeah big reputation he's just stalking about david coward says he's looming up out of nowhere and we love it we love it when rick just looms up he's like He's appearing to people. He's just flouncing about in his club outfit, like terrifying Mm -hmm. people, not even saying a word. Like he's, it's just deeply chaotic. And I love that for him. I,
0: in the coward version, I also like that. Like (laughs) he clarifies, like, this isn't just a rude guy who won't turn around. (laughs) He's not like the other boys.
1: No. um, And he's not like the other
0: boys because he does, he looks like a skeleton.
1: (laughs) But no, he... He, this is, listen, this is not just any asshole. This is Rick. Put some respect on his name. Exactly. I yeah. do like
0: that they, the girls, first of all, the girls are are just absolutely hammered. So they are just, they're doing that thing that my family used to do this. We would blame everything on this one, one guy, like there's this guy who used to house sit for my grandparents or something. Anytime we couldn't find anything we would just blame him and say that like he took the good batteries out of the remote (laughs) and replaced them with bad batteries and shit like that. And I feel like that's the energy of the opera house where they're just like, I can't find my tutu. It's not because I'm drunk and I just took it off somewhere. It is because Rick took it. And so now everyone's just like making shit up about the things that the Phantom of the Opera is doing.
1: Oh, yeah. No, like they're, There are things Rick blatantly did, and then there's ninety percent of the rest of it. Like they're claiming he's taking their toiletries, and the thing is that he's not. Like the Phantom of the Opera, I'm just gonna say it, and I'm gonna stand by it. He didn't steal your beauty blender. Like he he didn't.
0: No, he didn't. He doesn't need it because he has his own. He's not stealing your like Elf cosmetics. He's not <laughs> taking your your Capizios. No. You lost them. The girls, they're drunk. They're dizzy, and they just but they're you know they're blaming Rick for like a lot of things that simply uh, you know he didn't do. No, so all of these um, events—they're happening before the ballet. They're screwing around backstage so hard, they're completely off task. They're not practicing; they're simply screaming.
1: Yeah, and Sorelli, she's trying to do her speech, but here comes the children. They're like, it's childcare hours for Sorelli, like right now. Like she's she's become a guidance counselor. She didn't ask for this. No, she's
0: she's the camp. She's coming in with the camp counselor energy, and the the children have found beer.
1: Yeah, and it is a very special episode. They found a case of natural light that was like propping open a door in this really apparently opera house. But um,
0: so they need to let Meg speak because Meg, her yeah. mom, runs the boxes. That she's like the manager of the box seats at the opera, and she has all the keys because you can't just like show up there. No. Um, like, and these these seats would be expensive
1: seats. Is a box that cannot be sold. It is box five ever heard of it. It belongs to the fan of the opera. Put a pin in that.
0: It's a good seat and they're losing a lot of money on it.
1: Yes. And then that's this is about where she starts talking about Joseph Bouquet, who she had said that her mom had said that Joseph Bouquet needs to keep his trap shut. Joseph Bouquet, the stage setter, was a reliable, sober, unlike the ballet girls, man with not much imagination. So he's really trying hard to drive home the point that, like, this guy, he could not make this up. He's telling you what he saw. Right. Yeah, and one of the things he's telling them is what this ghost man's face looks like. Circle back, but Meg really has a take. She's going to call it, like, she sees it. She says, that's the ghost. He's very ugly. Thank you. Thank you for that, Meg. Yeah. Yeah, um, everyone hears something outside of the room, and it's not even a footstep. It quote, it was like light silk brushing against the wooden panels. So Rick is just out here in his club fits, like, terrorizing people with the sound of silk. No one's doing mm. it like him. Where do you get the silk, you know? Also, no one's doing it like Sorelli, who since... She says, since you are not going to allow me to know peace, clearly I gotta, I gotta go deal with the situation. And this is also a passage that really seemed to speak to you. Oh yeah. So it just spoke to me because she has a
0: stiletto, which we know series of unfortunate events have rise. In the series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket, you know, ever heard of it? There heard is of it. a <laughs> There's a character who at one point, spoiler alert for Series of Unfortunate Events 2003, there's an evil character who has stiletto heels, but her heels are actually stiletto knives, and the author takes a whole page to explain that the word stiletto means knife. So, I knew. You knew? Yeah, I knew it meant knife. So, uh, she has a knife, which is pretty cool. She's amazing. I love her. But also, like, wh- <laughs> why does she need a knife? And this, yeah. Like, what what is going on at the opera house? That is not like this is
1: having a knife on you uh, at work does not seem OSHA compliant. <laughs> she's like, we, we don't have time. So, what she does, she's like, We got to move. She opens the door. She's ready. I believe she would do what needed to be done without a knife, but mm-hmm. nothing needs to be done because Rick, classic I sh- Rick, I should be calling him Eric, but I like calling him Rick, but also he is wandering around this terrorized. Buzzed group of dance camp girls. Like it's classic Rick, but he's he's clearly not there when Sorelli opens the door, and Persian is mentioned at this time. He is a mysterious figure who I mean they describe him as the Persian, so like no no one knows why anyone is backstage, to be honest. I know. Like, what is this?
0: Why there's this randoms walking around? This is very weak security. Um, they like is the Persian on payroll? Doesn't seem like it. No. No, so they don't have,
1: like, ID. No, people walking around loose. Like, they're hanging out. Yeah, they're just visiting from college. Yeah. And w- we, of course, will learn later that the Persian has his reasons to be there that kind of mm-hmm. make sense, you know, but no one else knows about it. They claim Sorelli is a dizzy broad, but no one holds it against her. Why should they? Who are these people? My theory is that the only reason they're saying Sorelli is an idiot is because there's, there's hateration and holleration in this stancery, and they do hate her because they ain't her. So she tells these latchkey kids there is no one out here. Jams is like, we saw him. Sorelli does a Thor Ragnarok like, did you though? No. She says, You must pull yourselves together. Like, what goes? Get it together. Maybe you didn't see anything. And I see here that what you've written was that Rick was probably standing behind the Persian, because Yeah.
0: He's the um Beyoncé standing in front of Jay-Z meme, so the you know, the Persian is standing up for his wife.
1: <laughs> Froga. Um We'll have time to talk about that. But all right, we're all over the place. But you know what? So are the unaccompanied minors. So they're yelling about what happened is Gabriel, apparently an actual employee, said that he saw the Persian. But it's Meg that's saying this. And that's highlighted. It's your girl's time to shine. Meg mm-hmm. is the one running the show at the slumber party. Like, she's not letting anyone else go to sleep. Not right. that you would want to. Because if you did, you would miss something. And that's Meg. Right.
0: She's the girl who's like, I promise we're going to stay up all night. I'm going to tell you what sex is. She has a training bra before everyone else. Like, she's coming in with that level of unearned confidence. Uh, Her mom lets her go to Victoria's Secret when, like, your mom does not
1: Bold. She's bold. So Meg's mom is around, but Meg is just out here telling tales, as she should. Uh, She has to let these other girlies know that Gabriel, who, he works there. So he's in a room. He's clocked in. He's, like, cleaning out the Keurig machine. And then he sees the (laughs) Persian... And the Persians plus one. And then this man becomes all three stooges at once. He begins to flail. He hurts his hand. He tears his coat. A piano lid smashes his fingers. I've had to make bullet points. He falls down the stairs. He's bruised all over. (laughs) Blood all over his face. Sir, please. (laughs) Because what happened is he looked in a doorway and there was the Persian and then someone was standing behind the Persian. So. Oh my God! Megan, her mom find this man on the stairs and they're like, "Bud," he's like, "Shout to the Lord." All. No, but he does. I'm trying to kill you. <laughs> he has to do really. He has to really go to a very Hillsong place because God let him off easy there. That's what <laughs> happened because he saw Rick. Now, Rick, according to Meg, Rick has the aesthetic, he has the energy, he has the outfits. Meg says that he is ugly, and this will come up a lot. It, it is very important to the plot of every adaptation, except the one with the rats, and we're not going to, I don't think we want to explore it. We don't like we it. We don't even, um, no. ever speak about that. Yeah. But, so the way you would speak on this now is different than it might be then. Like we, This novel is full of people who are calling this character ugly, hideous, including himself um something I saw kind of recently was it was on Instagram like a mother of a child who has what we might describe now as facial differences uh she just wants to post her kid on Instagram like people keep flagging her posts and that's because they want a warning they don't like what they're seeing just it's less about how people in the novel and across the various translations and adaptations like describe Eric than about the fact that due to how he looks and I'm a clown for saying this on a family of the opera podcast like maybe we'll cut it but he wow. he en- well he ends up choosing to live away from the world like there's no way to know how differently the might have told the story had he lived now mm-hmm. but he didn't do that he told it in 1909 so i just want to clarify that when we're using when we're quoting the novel no they're not using sensitive language to describe rick like no
0: i mean there's a guy who literally doesn't have a name and they just call him the country that he is from like This is a definitely a, you know, a product of its time. Um, But also like, yeah, we've had this, this conversation before, because I think like we, we talk about this a lot, because we sometimes we dabble in writing, like, you know, what if Eric was alive in today's time? Like, how would it be different? How would it be the same? And like, the fact of the matter is, like, I think, especially today, and like, the way our, our culture is kind of very obsessed with looks and appearances. You know, if you, if you have a facial difference, if you have some sort of condition where you are looking not part of the, like, you know, appearance that is the ideal, you know, people still treat you horribly. And I don't think that, you know, reading this, I don't think that we really made too much progress in that front. Like, people will still treat you like a pariah. <laughs> Eric is apart from society. And then also he does choose that, you know, right. based on various factors. And, and it is interesting to explore what LaRoe is going to tell us and also what we can kind of assume from what he is um, kind of experiencing in the 1900s. Because I think that, yeah, this, this would not be an easy time to have a facial difference. And it's still not an easy time to have a facial difference.
1: Just to clarify, the way this narrator has Meg presenting herself is humorous. And we like Meg, but like we are we're not laughing at Eric's face, which depending on which versions you have been exposed to, like I don't know how you picture Eric, how you, you picture him, but here, here is how he is described in L'Reau. Um, This is how Joseph Bouquet describes him. He is tremendously thin and his coat hangs on a bag of bones. His eyes are so deep set, you can't hardly make out the pupils, which never move. In fact, all you can see is two great big black holes like sockets in a dead man's skull. The skin is stretched over the bones as tight as a drum. It's not white, but a sickly sort of yellow. He's got no nose to speak of. You can hardly see it, side on. And the fact that there's no nose to see is, is the most horrible sight. And then uh, three or four brown strandy wisps across his forehead and behind his ears is all he's got in the way of hair. So just because there's quite a diversity of appearances within the ver- various Eric presentations and character... LaRoe lets us know very early on that that is what we were working with in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: because it kind of yeah varies from each adaptation. Um, but I'm interested to see, you know, his decision to live underground, any sort of backstory. Um, because, you know, by the end of the musical, Eric is like, I chose to do this because the world showed no compassion to me.
1: Right. So like Gabriel has seen something that frightened him very much standing behind the Persian. cleaning out the coffee machine joseph bouquet has (laughs) been telling the ballet girls how the opera ghost looks and to be clear none of the people here nor the reader at this time know that this is eric the fan of the opera but so it turns out that perhaps joseph bouquet should have said less right should have sat there and ate his food because chapter one ends i'm gonna gonna say it ends pretty badly for one joseph bouquet Right. Uh, so he's, he's killed, his body is
0: found hanging. And one of the dance moms <laughs> runs into the dressing room and says, Joseph Bouquet is dead. She's screaming. Yeah,
1: I mean, what an interest. Like, it is the end of the chapter. Did you think we were winding down? Because we're not. Like, Abby Lee Miller storms in. She drains a glass of alcohol that LaRoe clarifies is not hers and tells them all <laughs> about how he was hanging, Joseph Bouquet. Right.
0: But now he's not the body is yeah. there, then it's not there. Don't know. None of the
1: none of the randoms just wandering the opera house, know what's going on. No, there's all these people backstage. None of them saw what happened to the body. No one knows a thing. Now, one of the new opera managers who remember Sorelli, like, is just trying to practice her speech for this changeover event. She's been silenced. One of the new guys is like, Oh, there was a body, and then suddenly it disappeared. Like, damn, that's crazy. Like he's like, let's keep it moving. There's parties. And he says, I think that the youth who've been drinking Mike's hard lemonade for like 12 hours straight, like they took care of it. It's not of my concern. Everyone freaks out and then just continues to head to the lobby. They're like, we're not going to cancel our party because someone's dead. No. And we're not canceling this podcast because there's a car alarm outside. My I window. can hear that. Yeah. Your cat has yeah. set off the car alarm, so we can't continue. No, but hey, we're gonna persevere. The chapter is finished. Do you feel like we're finished?
0: Uh I don't think I think we have much more to say because there are some bangers that we did not get to talk about.
1: Yeah, no, and we've only been going for like 60 minutes. So we, we need to we need to right. we're gonna we're gonna do a segment. The segment is called All Bangers All the Time. All bangers all the time. So Kara, you have a banger for us. Right. And this
0: this is also um this is a coward move.
1: Well, the uh, the translator,
0: not the describe descriptor. Uh this is a coward translation thing. This is not in the Project Gutenberg version. Sometimes, you know, the bangers got lost in translation, which yeah. I don't appreciate, Tex.
1: No. No, so, this is and you had referenced he's really doing the work to try and make the novel less horny. It's right. not just Rick that he's trying to make less horny. It's everyone, but especially yes. one Sorelli.
0: Yes. So we're so we're reading the coward version and this is a description of sorelli that you were not aware of because yeah. uh, you read the text version
1: no you spoke before i had decided to read this version with you you were talking about it and i was like what what's that i don't know never heard it's, of it because it's I. crazy yeah this is crazy why did he write this so he goes la sorelli
0: is tall for a ballerina beautiful with solemn sensual features and a waist as supple as a willow branch. First of all, it's giving. Uh, she breasted boobily down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> like, tell me that this book was written by a man without telling me that it was written by a man. Um, but yeah, so he's like, I need you people to understand. This woman is crazy hot. Yeah. You know, tw- what is the yeah the Cisco lyric? <laughs> it's like <what? laughs> dumps like a truck. No, but there's like one, is it like 35, 26, 35 or something? Like there's like numbers, measurements. Yes, Cisco? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so this man is writing the lyrics of the Thong song in 1909. Mm-hmm. And he says, most people, many people are saying, most people reckon <laughs> her to be a fine figure of a woman. They her reckon. Hair is, yeah, they reckon. Her hair is yellow and fine as fun gold frames a smooth brow under which are set emerald green eyes her head on a long elegant haughty neck sways gently like a feathery plume when she dances she moves her hips in a manner that is not to be described hips don't but lie her whole body quivers with unutterable voluptuousness <gasps> oh, when she raises her arms he still- bends forward before launching into a pirouette thus revealing the contours of her bosom, or when the arch of her delicious body brings out the curve of her thigh, the sight is said to be enough to make a man blow his brains out.
1: <laughs> Sir, <laughs> Sean Kingston found shaking. Yeah, Gaston had, had to. He had to. He had to stop the action to let us know, she's so hot you were about to do something crazy over it. And, like, I buy it.
0: I am I mean, I was team Sorelli when she was oh, just, like, irritated I. that children were bothering her. But yeah. now I'm like, this is my girlfriend. She's so hot, you're going to die.
1: Yeah, that is certainly a banger. And uh... she also uh, is dumb. He also clarifies
0: she doesn't have brains. <laughs> but no one was holding it against her because people wanted her to hold it against them. Yeah. Britney Spears featuring her. Um, if I may make a <laughs> prediction. Prediction Corner, yes. Because I simply haven't read this book. Uh, but I do know how books work, so yeah. not to not to flex. Um <laughs> I do foresee <laughs> so I foresee Sorelli. Sorelli's gonna continue to be a bad bitch. I already love her. Uh, I can't wait to see because I don't I mean, she's not in the musical, which I'm starting to think is a crime. Um I'm excited to meet Miss Christine Daye. Ever heard of her? We do like Christine. Um, but I I am confused why we haven't met her yet, because like in the musical, she's one of the ballerinas. But I guess she's not.
1: Yeah. So, again, non-scholars, but she is. She is not in the ballet in this. But in the real world, I think you're you're not really in the ballet and in the chorus. Um, in mm. the musical, you mm-hmm. are. In this, you're you're just probably not. You would have trained for like one or the other. I think Christine being in the ballet and other adaptations is just to kind of streamline. And they wanted her to have a friend, which coming up for soon for Meg Steen fans. Um, So that's not really in the row, but you know. Yeah, let's... I like that
0: they give her a friend in the musical, but I'm 99% sure that the
1: musical still doesn't pass the Bechdel test, even though. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No versions of the stew. But um, because
0: <laughs> they're all talking about him all the time.
1: But so are we. and we all... Right. We don't we don't pass the Bechdel test as 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 women as human women. <laughs> yeah, as friends, we don't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> um, and I think in the yeah. fu- in the future, we talked about maybe doing a vibe check up front, like just what's going on in the fandom, pH, who's on social media that we want to shout out. It's Emily Kawachu's TikTok for me, but this particular yeah. vibe check, since it's our first episode, but I don't know how much we want to say. Yeah, before we like practice this podcast and we we're like, oh, like we'll just talk about
0: how fun the musical is. Well, newsflash. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we received word I was awful. <laughs> I was at a work happy hour and screamed like a psycho. Um, but we found out that the Phantom of the Opera, the longest running show on Broadway for 35 years, is closing on February 18th. It's over. There's only five months left. Absolutely devastating. Um, But we are... I'm excited this week. This will have already happened by the time this pod is out. But this week, Kristen is coming to New York. And we are going to see the show a bunch of times. And really, like, see it out with a bang. So we're going to see the show a bunch. And I'm really excited for that. I think we'll be okay.
1: Yeah, I think we'll be okay, too. I mean, tinfoil corner... There's been some really interesting choices that have been made with the marketing, but I don't know, man. Like, to be clear, because I have seen people who are not in America expressing thoughts along these lines, it's not just, uh, that's not it for the Phantom on Planet Earth. Like, um, it's to be on the West End, there's a production... In Australia right now, although I don't know how long that's going to be running for, like there's one in Japan, the first Chinese mm-hmm. production, I think, is coming soon. There's a Korean Ooh. production coming up. So Phantom, well, as he says in Love Never Dies, or has Christine say, love will continue. Oh, boy. Phantom will continue. But we're sad to see it go on Broadway. Who can say how long it'll be gone for? Because it was a crisp three years with flame is, but... Mm. We don't know we don't know it is crazy i do
0: have just for clarity's sake i do have the phantom of the opera website open and every single morning when i wake up since the news is hit i have refreshed the phantom of the opera website to see if they dropped the last tickets because if it's one thing i'm going to do it's i'm going to be there right um, so that is my only dream and goal right now is to get tickets and then maybe a couple of friends will come and we'll just cry into our bread bowls together. Uh, yeah. Like you did so many moons ago when you saw it in San Francisco and then you couldn't eat your meal.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. Just a fun thing since <laughs> getting back into this is my mother was begging me to take things that she had sorted out from the house, like please take your crap, Kristen, with love. <laughs> um, found my little journal from that era with its sparkly cover, bone chilling content, absolutely bloodthirsty. Uh-huh don't know how i wasn't taken to a government run home for no. the behaviors <laughs> the behavior was clown like no but i'm in there talking about how like i'm yelling at my mom because she t- made me go to a furniture store on our trips and she said girl we can go to pier 39 tomorrow and i was like tomorrow i'll be too depressed too right to eat a bread bowl but so that's the energy Too depressed to eat a bread bowl because of phantom of the opera but yeah i think <laughs> without listeners and as we're recording this of course there are no listeners so we don't know what to call you perhaps that will reveal itself right want to read along again david coward translation easy to find in print and we close out by saying we hear for you you know we hear we hear for you
0: yeah you can find us on instagram at uh, low row less traveled and uh for NPR, this is Ben Gaston Moreau <laughs> I think we can say confidently, <laughs> this is our cereal. <laughs>